With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. First, the bad news. SAP Business AI won't help you generate cubist versions of your family's holiday photos. But it will help you understand which supplier is best to help you roll out your plant-based packaging in Southeast Asia. Or identify the training your junior project manager needs to rise up the ranks. And automate repetitive tasks while you focus on big innovations. So you can be ready for the next opportunity. Revolutionary technology. Real-world results. That's SAP Business AI. Good evening and welcome to this episode of the Black Tuesday Podcast. Huh. Just take a deep breath and just kind of, you know, enjoy a few things. Now, to discuss the topics of the day, you know her, you love her. She's the editor of Toasted Cheese magazine, also someone who likes cake and eats it too. Stephanie <laughs> Lynn, good evening. How are you? I'm good. I'm ready for the petty. There you go. What kind of cake was it? It was uh, a homemade, from a box, yellow cake oh. with uh, chocolate buttercream frosting homemade made with Carrie's Irish gold butter. Or Carrie gold, I should say. Well, damn. That that sounds <laughs> like I need to have some of that. Um, mm-hmm. <sighs> I always make my own frosting. Let's see. <laughs> Let's talk about the Supreme Court. Let's talk about Justice Elena Kagan and her dissent. She wrote, quote, no one gets to bank capital for future cases. No one's past decisions insulate them from criticism. She was aiming at, at uh, dear Brett, Justice mm-hmm. Brett Kavanaugh. I can't even throw the justice on, on it respectfully. Dear Brett, so when you're, in your opinion, if you're in those chambers and you had to watch the incessant fuckery afoot. How difficult do you think it is for liberal justices to have to put up with people like Clarence Thomas and Beer Brett? Well, I think, it, I mean, if I were Elena Kagan and I was sitting between those two, at least I could kind of understand maybe where Thomas was coming from. I might understand his judicial mind and just his, you know, staying on the rail of conservatism. Kavanaugh is, he's something else. He's just, I don't know how else to put it, he's just a dick. Like, this article, the one in Slate that you're talking about, um, it actually talks about some of the stuff, like where he'll pretend that he's on the side of somebody, like LGBT people or um, people who are appealing sentences, and he'll have all these words for them, how he admires their fight and blah, 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 and then he takes your rights away anyway. It's like, you know, pick pick a side. Either be be the jerk that you are and just put down in words, I'm the jerk and here's why. Or, you know, admire these people for their fight and admit that the law is on their side. It's, it's one or the other, but he's doing both. And that's one of the problems that she has, and she's done holding her tongue, and I love it. I look at it, and I look at it. There was one person that said, 
about five years ago that the president, a Republican president, will probably be able to stack four judges in the Supreme Court. Mm-hmm. Why didn't America listen to Hillary Clinton? You know, I ask myself that for a variety of reasons almost on a daily basis. It's almost, well, it, it's not really almost. It, it is the Cassandra story come to life. She was there. She was saying the thing. She was right about the thing. And either no one listened or we forgot or we just didn't take it seriously. Like, you know, the Middle East thing. She went over and brokered a peace between Hamas and Israel and it kind of, you know, like everybody forgot that she did that. <laughs> so we've got that. Then we've got this, you know, where she says the next president is going to pick probably three or four justices. And and we had people on the far left and basically white women who were just like, mm, nah, not important to me. It doesn't really affect me. And either voted for Trump or voted for somebody that wasn't Hillary Clinton and kind of threw the election. So... Yeah, I don't know what else we need to do to be told. He needs to come up and bite us in the ass. It's now biting with Roe hanging in the balance. And I saw a tweet by uh, someone who doesn't deserve any sort of attention for their tweet, but this douchebag said that maybe overturning Roe versus Wade would strengthen the Democratic case for maintaining the House in 2022. Mm. I have yet to want to reach through my phone and grab somebody if they're if they're a man if they're a man and smack the shit out of them. It has to be a man who says dumb shit like this. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, you know, John Fugelstein has always said abortion will always be available to the wealthy and to the mistresses of Republican men. So, you know, it's just a case of, does this affect you? And the answer is for, you know, most people, yeah, it might. If if it's not you, it could be your kid, it could be your sister, it could be, you know, anybody might need to have this medical treatment and they can't have it because somebody else is busy fundraising off of it because they've attached a morality to it. And uh, then there was... um, Oh, what's her name? The one from up in Maine. Susan Collins. Collins, thank you. Yeah, Susan Collins is saying that, uh, well, you know, Kavanaugh told her that that, that law is set. I was like, yeah, I'm done believing you, Ms. Collins. And even if he did say it, they're just salivating to get this case. They picked this case, and apparently it was like way down the list of possible ones that they might have taken. So they were looking for one. And this is, this could be it. Here's the jacked up part. If there's an overturning or a weakening of Roe, mm-hmm. if you're a Democratic, oh, if you are a voting white woman, and if you vote Republican, nothing nice to say. I have nothing nice to say. Mm-hmm. I won't curse you out because I was taught to kind of, you know, mind your tongue in certain circumstances, but Nothing nice to say. To you. No, no. Mm-hmm. It is literally voting against self-interest. Yep. Like there are people dying with mm-hmm. botched, with back alley abortions and things as such, mm-hmm. where you have clean alternatives and safe alternatives. Mm-hmm. 
or even just a medical reason. I have a friend who uh, endured a pregnancy where she wasn't making any amniotic fluid. And she, in the area where she lived, she couldn't find a doctor to terminate the pregnancy, and she had to carry it as long as her body would carry it, and she was in constant pain. And the fetus that she had was, you know, I can't imagine what that environment must have been like. So you know, there's someone who actually had a good medical reason to have something like this, and she simply couldn't procure it. So you know, there's all kinds of reasons that women have it, and the base, it, what it comes down to is the reason that women go through this is not really anybody's business except for them and for their doctor. You know, I don't go through and find out what everybody else's medical procedures are all the time. It's none of my business. Why this certain medical procedure has to be everybody's business, I'm not sure. But I do know that it has to do with it's the biggest money-raising, money-making um, policy point on the right, and then guns is second. And as a man, I don't understand. Like, for me, I don't have a uterus. Mm-hmm. I don't have one. It is really not my place to pass judgment on those who do. I've never carried a child. Again, I've never had a menstrual cramp, but from what I'm told, you can correct me if I'm wrong, it is the feeling of being kicked hard repeatedly in your solar plexus over and over and over again. Yeah, For me, I would say it's more like... Um like if you have a, a rag that you need to wring out and you have to make it really wringed out, that's what it would feel like, like just someone wringing out a heavy rag constantly. And the twist of it and, and the squeeze of it, that was the feeling, the sensation that I had. So there was, luckily I don't have that anymore, so I'm good. There was this uh, video of men who, there were these electrodes that were placed on their mm. lower stomach, and it it was there to simulate what a woman goes through on her period and they they tested them on men and they tested the same charge or strength on women to a man on their ass laying down like couldn't move on their sides like crying women are like oh this is what i do every day it's eh." yeah just walking like normal (laughs) i was thinking about and then you have someone like serena williams who's doing what she does, and you never have any idea whether that's that time or not. I mean, Simone Biles and some of these women, the athleticism that they have, and you know that at some point they're enduring that is incredible to me. One of my closest friends in the world is one of the most stark as far as reactions. So long time ago, her cousin asked what was that like because he was like a chauvinist type. Mm-hmm. and she's trying to explain he's like oh that doesn't sound bad <laughs> she's like turn around he turned around she punched him in his stomach as hard as she fucking could it made a sound reminiscent of an aluminum bat hitting a side of beef. Mm. It was brutal. Brought him to his knees and the fact that he was throwing up. He threw up the rest of the day. He could not stand up. Hit him dead ass in his stomach. And she's like, that is what I feel like. Mm-hmm. From then on, I never questioned. Like, oh, okay. I'm just going to sit here and just stand in line and pay for these if I'm asked to go. 
and <laughs> I'm going to sit here and know my role and kind of shut my mouth. Now, when we return from break, I want to talk about uh, waste of skin in public office. You are listening to the Black Tuesday podcast on the FPC radio network. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. We are back with the Black Tuesday podcast. Terrence Biggs, Stephanie Lins. Stephanie, we need to talk about a waste of space. Talk about Greg Abbott, governor of Texas. Greg is, he tweeted today that he will opt out of further federal employment benefits for the state of Texas. And his his words, there are nearly 60% more jobs open in Texas today than February 2020, making these unemployment benefits no longer necessary. Greg Abbott also sued so many people when he lost the use of his legs, which I'm, I mean, it is, he has money. He's made money long before that. He's might made money since. He will never be hurting for a job. He has a government pension. Mm-hmm. Fuck these people who are sitting there cutting off employment benefits for people who may not want to work for an eight bucks. Like eight bu- Living in minimum wage will not pay bills. That is just not the way it works. Yep. Why do you think, like, Republican governors to a person, because man, woman, to a person, have decided to take such a hard-ass stance? I think they, they've tied unemployment to socialism. It's a handout instead of the idea of these are people unable to work. And now that people are kind of speaking back and not taking the crappy, or maybe not the crappy jobs, but at least not the crappy pay that they used to get, people are recognizing that, hey, I'm not getting a living wage. If I can subsist on this unemployment benefit that's close to what I was making, then I wasn't making nearly enough. And people just aren't taking it anymore. And employers and, and governors, particularly Republican governors, just don't know what to do with that information. I think a lot of them have just never had to be like, you know, I've got to work a second job or, you know, I've got to quit this job I love because I've got to take another one that actually pays me more. Um, you know, I've worked plenty of jobs in my life where I had to pick between getting a meal and filling the tank with gas. And, you know, so I don't think these guys have ever gone through anything like that. Um, it's just, and then they're almost shaming people in the way they're like, oh, these employments, these benefits, they are not necessary. They are necessary to a lot of people. And it's just the presumption of, oh, those people are just living off the state. And it's, mm-hmm. Really? It's $300 a month. Like, it's barely yeah. helping ends meet. Like, it's kind of making sure that you have a little bit of food in the fridge, just trying to get you tied over. And people are like, oh, all, all these jobs are open. Mm-hmm. Businesses know that their jobs are open, so there's, some of them decide not to pay a lot. But who's going to sit there and, like, take that lesser-paying gig when they have miles to feed, mm-hmm. many miles to feed? And when I see a Republican sit there and say, well, you know, 
you know, all this is necessary. Okay. Okay. Next ne next time your business needs some kind of or a, a tax break, it's you pay less taxes. Therefore, the government the government will actually putting money in your dumbass pockets and. <clears throat> It's sad to watch because there are people who definitely truly need this cash and they're being treated like they're just freeloading and that's just not right. Mm -hmm. Speaking of just not right, we got to talk about the New York primary because I, uh, Andrew Yang, he, you know what he's like? Andrew Yang is the ingrown hair of American politics. Where is that hair? Knuckle. Do <laughs> that. He he is the knuckle. He's just he's the worst because he. How do you have somebody who lives in New York who gets New York so wrong? Who is so just the antithesis of everything that makes New York New York. He took the wrong train, tweeted, oh, I'm taking a picture, I'm going up. No, you're not going up to anywhere. You're going to be stopped, like, several blocks short of your intended destination. He literally labeled himself as a white man the other day. Oh, my God. If Andrew Yang's a white man, I am the sixth member of NSYNC. Yeah, was it um, the Democratic candidates where they were asking them how much they thought a home in Brooklyn cost? Yes, and he said, did, did he say $100,000? He wasn't one of them. There were two other ones. Um, I think it was the two white dudes, but it might, one of them might have been a woman. I'm not sure. But they asked them how much they thought um, the average home in Brooklyn cost, and they both guessed $100,000. And then when it was countered that the average uh home in Brooklyn costs $900,000, one of them came back with, well, does that include apartments, that average? <laughs> it's like, it's, you know, they could give them away, and it still wouldn't bring it down to $100,000. Really, like, you can't buy mm -mm. a closet space. You can buy a toilet seat. You, you, you couldn't rent to live on a toilet seat for less than 400 grand in Brooklyn. That is basic mm -hmm. math. That is something that even non-New Yorkers know. How the fuck are you trying to be mayor if you don't know basic New York shit? One of the great things about um, the early days of COVID, when they were doing Saturday Night Live from their apartments, like everybody was like, um, like recording little bits and things like that, um, one of the ones, I know uh, Kate McKinnon did one, like the Whiskers Are We sketch, where she's a woman looking for homes for wayward cats, and it was just her and her cat in her apartment, and you see how small her apartment is. She's on Saturday Night Live. She's pretty much the star of Saturday Night Live, and she basically has a closet with an attached bathroom. Mm. <laughs> so, you know, and, and it was the same thing for uh, New Odom's place, and... Um, it was just like there are there are places we're all small, and one person was outside, and then Pete Davidson lives lives literally in his mother's basement. And there are people on Saturday Night Live pulling down good money. They they're not buying places in New York City. Mm -mm. So it, it's like you know, do these people own places in New York City? Do they not know what they're 
with their mortgage costs that they are buying or if they're renting what their rent is. Cheaper to live in Jersey. Yeah. I just I wonder who these people are and what do they really want to be mayor of New York? In a way, it's kind of a dead-end job because think about it. You're not going to ascend to any other level of being the mayor of New York. No. But it's an important job, but it's the end of your career, basically. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't expect Bill de Blasio to be a justice of the peace in Elmira, New York, when he's done in in office. You got old uh, Giuliani. Like, yeah, he ran for president, but he also (laughs) disgraced himself by laying on a bed and adjusting his fly in front of a young woman. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's four seasons landscaping. Four seasons landscaping in Pennsylvania. Just I mean. I'm I'm never over that. <laughs> I mean, side note: I literally had to win a bet with somebody who I explained that Pennsylvania means Penn's forest. I literally had mm-hmm. to explain that to somebody, and they're like, "No, that just means Sylvania." No, because they confuse Sylvania with TV. I'm like, ah. Uh. It's Penn's Forest. William Penn is a big name in Pennsylvania. Like yeah. he is the reason why it's named Mike. I yeah, not far stu- from my house is William Penn Highway. I deal with stupid people. Speaking of stupid, <laughs> look at these tr- these transitions are like on fire tonight. But you're smooth. Seriously, like now, baby's butt. A, a podcasting is what I do. <laughs> um, Joel Greenberg. Speaking of not smooth, he pled guilty today to six criminal charges, including sex trafficking of a 17-year-old girl in wire fraud. Now, that could be any case, but here's why it's important. Joe Greenberg is an associate, a close associate of Matt Gates, Mr. Hare and Forehead himself. So apparently, according to Axios, investigators found evidence potentially implicating the gates in sex trafficking. Mm-hmm. It is about to get ugly. Yep. I can't and wait. I'm excited. Like, I want it to get ugly. I want it yep. to get ugly for him. Like, this is the dude who wore the gas mask in mm-hmm. the chambers of the house, or the ho- house, and thought it was funny when millions, not millions, but thousands of his fellow Floridians were dying every mm-hmm. day. And his dumbass thought it'd be funny, haha, to adorn or to don a mask and try to make light or some kind of political clout. Oh, mm-hmm. God, I wish they throw him under the jail. Yep. Especially trafficking young girls that they paid with, what, PayPal, Venmo, Apple mm-hmm. Pay. Mm-hmm. Literally, they did this in broad daylight. And made their own paper trail. Exactly. Like, here, arrest us. Yeah. <laughs> and so it makes me wonder if there's an even bigger fish than Gates that they're after. Because they really dealt with this guy fast. You know, those charges came up. It hit the news. We heard he was going to flip. He flipped. Today they're in court, and they're dropping almost 30 other charges just to get him on this because he's cooperating cooperating about Gates. So who are they hoping that Gates is going to cooperate about? I wonder who it might be. Hmm. Who do you think? 
I think I think it's going to go at least to Trump. He he's got a history of inappropriate things with underage girls. He used to That's walk in on those beauty pageants of his and well, they're um, addressing. Yeah, and and then there's he, all his ties to Epstein. And I mean, I honestly, there's you know stuff is stirring in the Gates divorce, and there's all kinds of you know boats on the water here. So who knows where it's going to go? But I don't think Matt Gates is the big fish. A middle fish, maybe. I mean, can we discuss for a second just the weirdness of grown men leering and lusting after young women, like, mm-hmm. on that level? Like, I'm rather skeeved out by in all of this. Like, yeah. I've always taught you reach 18 anyone young like no no look forward don't look behind look forward <laughs> and yet you have these dudes who like Gates is in his late 30s something like that you literally like sending or treating women off to our underage even if they were mm-hmm. even if they were of legal age it's still gross it's sex trafficking yeah like if there's a spot in hell if hell exists these two assholes need to go to it and not mm-hmm. leave. And it's just, it's the worst. Now, we need to discuss epidemiologists. Apparently, there were, according to the New York Times, 723 of them. With all the mandates lifting, they said that the pandemic won't truly cease until children are vaccinated too this is a study at oh, led by David Celitano he's the chair of epidemiology at Johns Hopkins he's one of 723 epidemiologists who participated in the survey so pretty much it's going to be widespread like vaccinations now do you think, or what do you think the timetable realistically is to end the pandemic? I don't know. I've been looking. Uh, the Times also runs um, a county by county across the country um, daily record of where your COVID cases are, where the vaccinations are, and stuff like that. And my county is still in the danger level. And we've kind of topped off at 34% of the population being um, completely vaccinated and 40-some percent being partially vaccinated. And the numbers have held steady there for quite a while. Um, there's, In fact, there's so much vaccinability where I am that my 15-year-old got his first shot of Pfizer. So, you know, they they opened it up, and the same day we called the vaccine hotline and said, can he get in to get his vaccine? They had him an appointment the next day. So people aren't, at least, you know, where I am, people aren't getting the vaccine anymore. They're kind of done. And they're clamoring for schools to drop the mask mandates and stuff like that. Our school today actually put out a statement saying they're keeping the mask mandate in place through the end of the school year, which surprised me because there's so many vocal people here and they say they're running on the school board and they want you to write in their names because they want the kids out of the masks and it's like, okay, if we're going to fight about just wearing a simple piece of cloth on your face, 
we don't want to get into talking about the vaccine. And I don't see us getting over 50%, probably at least through summer. I think we're kind of petering out, and I don't think we're anywhere near that. Um, but, you know, for me to feel comfortable taking my mask off my fully vaccinated face in public, we're going to have to get well above 50%. So I, I just don't know if we're ever going to get there. What do you think it's it's going to be? What do you think it looks like where you are? I think two years out. Yeah. Because it takes a while for, honestly, if we're keeping it real, and we always do, for mm-hmm. stupid-ass people to get it through their head that this vaccine is going to probably save your life. And it's going to, you, you need it. You need to do this. And there's too much of a backlash now. Oh, you know, people are vaccinated, so I don't get a vaccine. No, you stupid roop. It's more of the vaccine is a necessity. It should be mandated. And I want it to be mandated. It's just people need to actually be smarter about it, and I don't think they are. But speaking of not smart, these transitions, <laughs> let's talk about former child actor, current failed adult actor, Rick Schroeder. <laughs> so Mr. Schroeder decided to film himself going to Costco and, and telling a Costco employee, harassing it to take a mask off. And when the camera fla- flashed back, there was Rick, Rick Schroeder, like 80s teen sensation, even had a quick run as Danny Sorensen for 58 episodes of NYPD Blue. He did. Um, why did he look like cottage cheese wrapped in parchment paper with glasses on? He looked like the cottage cheese when you change your mind and take it back out of the lasagna. <laughs> I mean, he, he doesn't look great. And I see that he's got a can of skull or something in his front pocket. It looks like he's got a can of chew. And in the other video, not in the Costco video, in the lecturing video, which I'm sure you're going to get to in a minute. Oh, yes. But, he look- yeah, he, he looks absolutely awful. And I had... I used to get, like, the Tiger Beat magazines and stuff when I was 12 and 11. I remember one time I got one, and he was the centerfold. And I just, you know, any poster that was in the magazine, I would put on my wall. And I actually had a poster of him on my wall, and it was a three-pager. And he was standing on a rock like he was going to jump in swimming or something like that, like in swim trunks. And it was like, I look back on that now and think, ugh, why did I even put it up to cover a, a hole or something? That would be just awful. You know, and there's a perfectly good picture of Matt Dillon right there. So He looked like, in that video, in both videos, he looked like a topography map of the Andes Mountains. Mm-hmm. And he's orangey. He's he is like orangey. He's orange tint. Yeah. yeah I don't know if it's the California. video, but I, I think he's, you know, maybe he's doing the home spray tans like, um, you know, Cheeto Lini used to do. And he literally is one of the people who contributed to Kyle Rittenhouse's bail. He did. And not this even, was not even anonymously. No, he was proud of that. Yeah. I, I mean, he was more proud of that than filming the Return of Lonesome Dove. Love, Return of Lonesome Dove in 1983, mm-hmm. or he, you know, Heart Full of Rain, or the fuck that is in 1997. <laughs> I mean, his his IMDb is more of a WTF. <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah, I think after he turned like 16, the the quality of everything went down, except for NYPD Blue. That was a good show, and I liked that. That but was. His roles, dro- tuned in. his roles dried up so fast that Ben Shapiro tried to date them. But it <laughs> is stunning to watch a Z-list celebrity harass a Costco employee. Like, these folks out here doing their job, and you have young Richard Stratton, or old Richard Stratton now, trying to catch clout from a Costco employee. Like, somewhere in the recesses of Republican Hollywood, you have Antonio Sabato Jr., who is all, like, hairstyle and has the talent of a arthritic flea with an eye patch and a peg leg. Um... Scott Bayo, who apparently did his best acting in asset wash jeans and bright colored shirts, mm-hmm. Chachi, if you will, Rick Schroeder, Stacey Dash, who disavowed her Republicanness, like, no, no, you're still, you're still out there. Like, normally I don't try to be the arbiter of blackness, but I'm going to arbiter the fuck out of this. No, you don't get to come back. Nope. And. Rick Schroeder, and I think of people like John Voigt, who also is like that, who, you know, this is, Republican Hollywood is funny to me, because these are people who claim that there's some liberal conspiracy, and you're a cinephile, Mm -hmm. do you really think that there's a conspiracy against Republican Hollywood? No, because some people do get parts. Um, I think Kelsey Grammer's a conservative, James Wood's a conservative. Um, the thing is, people don't like working with them, plain and simple. I mean, if you're a jerk on the political front, you're going to be a jerk on social media. What do you like to have on set? How do you treat craft services? How do you treat your, you know, your makeup crew? So, you know, directors know these things, producers know these things, and they're not going to hire somebody who's a jackass. They don't want to work with them. They don't want to take, you know, like... The um, the risk of having someone that you're going to put, like say someone's going to be in your movie that's coming out in six months, what are they going to do in the six months after you finish filming? Or how are they going to make a jackass of themselves and what's it going to do to affect your bottom line? So there's a reason that they don't get work anymore. And it all goes back to who they are. You know, the, probably the, the biggest working conservative I can think of right now is Chris Pratt, but he kind of fell ass backwards into a moneymaker. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, I honestly think, I'm, I'm, I'm not, I don't dislike his work, and I don't particularly like his work, but I think that he could be cherry-picked right out of Guardians of the Galaxy and replaced with somebody else. People talk about putting Jack Black in there, and it's like, you know what? It really wouldn't make that much difference. I mean, you have people who are like Gina Carano, who, yeah, former, former MMA fighter, and she fell into the Mandalorian after... Mm-hmm. You know what, I'll give her credit. She was partially hilarious in the first Deadpool. Yeah. But she had to just run her mouth and lose her job. They said, hey, knock it off, knock mm-hmm. it off, and she wouldn't. And I'm looking at the list of Republican or conservative actors via IMDb, mm-hmm. and Dean Cain, I mean, bro, you were mayor for like a minute. Like, yeah. no one gives a shit. Kevin Sorbo, again, you're Hercules in like the 90s. Yeah. You and my one-colored hair are both things of the past. 
Bill Engvall? Is that one like that's the blue collar sure. comedy guy? Yeah, he's he's not Jeff Foxworthy, and he's not Mayor. He's the other one. Exactly, Freddie Prinze Jr. I'm like, dude, uh, oh. your dad was a hilarious comic. You are. I was just... gonna say that's disappointing. <laughs> mm-hmm. Christy Swanson. I'm like, okay, original well. Buffy. No one cares. Yeah, and she was decrying not too long ago that she can't get work, and it's like maybe it's because you're you. You know, it's not that you're untalented or that you, you know, anything like that. Maybe you are, but people are like, well, I can get somebody who's just as talented who's not going to cause me trouble. Adam Sandler. I'm like, it is what it is. I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised. And, I mean, I'd be more surprised if he actually put out a film that wasn't shit. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I heard there's a new Hotel Transylvania coming out, and... The guy who's voicing Drac is this guy who's a... My kids have watched him for years. He's a YouTuber, and he can do all these Disney voices. And he used to go to um, like the Disneyland. Like, he lived there, and he would go all the time. And he would do, like, Winnie the Pooh to Pooh. Or he'd do Donald Duck to Donald Duck and film their reactions, and that was his YouTube channel. And he's replaced Adam Sandler on Hotel Transylvania 4. So, <laughs> one, it can't be much of a franchise, and two... Adam Sandler is not irreplaceable by someone that no one's ever heard of. I mean, they have a long list of people, like a lot of older actors, like Gary mm-hmm. Cooper and Clint Eastwood and John Wayne and Charlton Heston, yeah. which you you expect yeah. that because look at the times. But mm-hmm. there's no one who, like Kirk Cameron. I need to have a <laughs> Kirk Cameron rant. Now, Kirk Cameron was this guy. Super right-wing conservative guy, even when he was on Growing Pains. There was an actress named Julie McCullough, uh, former Playmate of the Year. Not sure what year. Blonde, funny. She played his girlfriend for like a season. She was fired from Growing Pains for... They found out that she posed in Playboy, but it was on her resume when they hired her. He threw a fit. He helped to tank her career, her acting career. So she decided to become a stand-up comic. And honestly, she's kind of, she's been killing it for like probably 25 years now. And she's kind of funny. And for me, it's the fact that Mike Seaver, who didn't do much afterward and decided to, you know, produce his own conservative religious movies decide to try to tank somebody's career because a playboy paymate was on his show like really dude i mean it's playboy it's it was what it was she never hit it and it speaks to the hypocrisy of the way right Oh, the far right, even the right, because if she wasn't on his show and she was just Julie McCullough, realtor or somebody else, I mean, she's a pretty lady. You know, he would be the first person that would be on that phone trying to, you know, talk to her. And him, his sister Candace, is also apparently super conservative. I'm like, really? Like... It's weird to me, and I often think about which musicians are, but then I think to myself, I don't care because 
a lot of musicians, some are, and a whole lot of people in country, and well, Ted Nugent is, and Kid Rock, lots of musicians. Kid Rock's not a musician. He's just, you know what he is? He's herpes with a hat on. <laughs> Doesn't he think he's gone? He comes back. Forever. Like, he won't stop coming back. Like, seriously, he is the unwanted relative. Just, will just show up at your door and just, you know, take a, a Skinner song and kind of remix it and then you hear it all over summer in the Midwest. It is the worst thing ever. Yep. Because you have people just, oh, you know, just sitting there clapping on one and three, you know, <laughs> feet unwashed, hair must, smell like uh, marble reds and desperation, tinged with five-day-old vodka and stale donuts. No, it's not a thing that we do. <laughs> but That's quite a picture. Hey, I mean, I, I had it. time. I had time, but I want to jump into the music vault because one of the things that we have in common is the love of music. And one of the topics was or discussed was music will bring you a sense memory where you hear a song and it brings you back mm-hmm. to a specific point. Are there any songs off the top of your head that when you hear them, you're like, huh, it reminds you of a time? Oh, yeah, lots of stuff from, like, the early 80s when I was in college and kind of out on my own and able to choose things for myself and stuff like that. There's songs in there, like uh, Losing My Religion comes to mind. Um, that was a good one. Um, even You Can't Touch This, <laughs> <laughs> that was a great one because it was kind of new and different and all of a sudden, every guy on campus was wearing big baggy pants. <laughs> That's a good one. Um, I remember uh, listening to Ice Ice Baby on a uh, trip from where we were in college over to Columbus, Ohio, for a thing. And um, yeah, like it's you know all these kinds of things there in there. I can remember those. Um, somebody had one up about movie scenes doing the same kind of thing. Like if you see a picture from a movie, can you hear the song that goes with it? And um, the one I wanted to put up and I couldn't find was um, I see the I can picture the guys in the full Monty in the unemployment line dancing to hot stuff. That was that's one that always comes to my mind. Um, but just like ones like um, like we talked before about albums that we bought and I think about another one bites the dust and playing the record in my room when I was little, stuff like that. Um, that's kind of you know along those lines. How about you? Do you have some special ones? Magic Star, um, Fade Into You, mm-hmm. it's just, mm-hmm. <sighs> it's one of those songs in the 90s that you hear it, and I've heard it at different times, being either in New Orleans or just going through stuff and just hearing it. Mm-hmm. It, is kind of, it conjures up a memory of, you know what, times were tough at the time, but then it's such a damn good song, and it's just, mm-hmm. it, it, it fits. It it's like a perfect soundtrack movie song. It yeah. is perfect because it it doesn't. You can have it on in the background and it doesn't chew up the scenery like it was Val Kilmer's teeth. It was <laughs> one of those things that it just it fits. And like you said, the early nineties was hell. I remember listening to. God, I'm about to embarrass myself. Snow Informer. There's a Canadian rapper named yeah. Snow. 
and he rapped really fast and kind of, yep. you know, used his own form of patois, which is like yep. Caribbean English, and <laughs> they literally had to put subtitles at the bottom of the screen and scroll it fast. Yep. And that used to he, always be on when I was getting ready for work. <laughs> and it was just so weird to have snow, like... <laughs> There's no other word for it. Exactly. He, I mean, it was... Snow was just... It was different. And even when I think of going to Quinceañera's, like, expose and Sweet Sensation, it was like one of those things that if you go to Quincea, every girl was dressed, hair huge, and the poofy shoulder dress... I mean, mm-hmm. it was a 90s shit. I mean, shit was happening. And <laughs> it was like those songs and just the 90s to me is my 80s and 90s are my two favorite music decades because mm-hmm. the screeching halt of transition from bubbly bright 80s to the final 90s is mm-hmm. just stark like yeah. hair went from being super huge to I'm going to wash it and just just flat dry it right there's not many years between Debbie Gibson and Alanis Morissette none they very few like Alanis Morissette was on you can't do that on television hair yep. big as anything then she decided to tell you that you had to know and it was <laughs> startling yes, it- there were lyrics in there I didn't even understand yet. <laughs> I mean, the transition, like I said, I remember watching You, Can, you Can't Do That on television on Nickelodeon. Oh, she's just happy and bubbly. And then when I see her on you, I don't know, like, oh, come to find out. <laughs> she was addressing this to a Dave Coulier from Full House. So apparently Dave yeah. <laughs> fucked around and found out. In front of the world. (laughs) And it was just startling to see that rage, rage. but one of the things, believe it or not, she has, when she, being from Ottawa, she sung, sang the Canadian National Anthem and the Star Spangled Banner at hockey games. They used Mm -hmm. to do the U.S. first and then do Canada. Her rendition of the Star Spangled Banner in O Canada is just, it might be the best because not just she sang it, but the crowd, the crowd felt it. And it was like, oh, like she really killed that. And even the players were like, one guy took his mouthpiece out. I'll actually send you a click. Like took his mouthpiece out and just kind of bopping his head. I'm like, yeah, but Alanis Morissette is the transition point from 80s to 90s. Now, mm-hmm. this week on Thursday, when we discuss movies, okay, I want you to, to think of a topic uh, that a particular genre movie or just movies, it could be actors in these movies, but your movie knowledge is unparalleled. <laughs> and speaking of, like my, like tweeted out that, Somebody tweeted, what was the number one song on your seventh birthday? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I just tweeted a picture of eyes. 
And being a yeah, being a cinephile, it was real clear that it those eyes belonged to Betty Davis. I Tim was say, it was a Betty Davis eyes. <laughs> yes. Yep. And when we talk on Thursday, one of our final topics in the conversation will be about movies, and I'm going to pick your brain about movies because I there's a wealth of knowledge there, and it's going to be good. Now, how can people interact with you on social media? They can find me usually at Twitter at Edenza, E-D-E-N-Z-A. One of the best people out there, one of the funniest people out there. Stephanie Lynn, thank you so much for joining us on this episode of the Black Tuesday Podcast. My pleasure. This has been an episode of the Black Tuesday Podcast. Be good to yourselves. Be good to each other. Never run a, never run a foul of Alanis Morissette. She'll sing about you. <laughs>